Holly G with the Golf Insiders. She's legendary as one of the, did you notice I said she is one of the nation's top sports radio and television personalities? And she's a native of the Big Apple and has been a longtime correspondent for WFAN Radio and CBS Sports Radio Network. She was one of the first and one of the originals at the Golf Channel, has won more awards than we can name right now, but it's always a pleasure to spend time with uh, not only one of the best in our business, but someone I'm very proud to call a friend, Anne Ligori. Hi, Anne. <laughs> what an introduction. Hey, Holly G, how's it going? Well, you know, you're right there in um, the backyard of one of the most iconic golf courses, Wingfoot, for the 120th U.S. Open. I know you've actually been on the grounds the last two days. And um, just uh, tell me what it's been like to be out at a tournament, you know, given this COVID uh, adventure we've been navigating through golf. Um, just tell me first what it's what it's like, especially you know, no fans, no New York fans. Yeah, I mean it's been very strange, very eerie, quiet. Um, just to walk around, you know, you know, the New York spectators they just are so passionate about golf. They're very vocal about you know their favorite players and, and supporting this great game and there's nobody there there are a few volunteers there obviously are officials from the usga there's very few media there's broadcasters or you know the golf channel and nbc are in a separate complex i'm in the media tent and i can't tell you how few media are, are in the media tent so credentials were very um hard to come by and it, it's just very strange they don't bring the players into a press conference area they they bring them to a smaller open tent um closer to the clubhouse and uh there's only been maybe five to ten of us asking questions not even that many today when webb simpson came and the usga had their annual kind of state of the game press conference so it's just been a very odd experience. However, you know, it, it's, the weather's been beautiful. Um, it's such an iconic, historic golf course and um, venue for U.S. Open. So much history. I went walking around there today, Holly, and, you know, the rough is rough. The uh, green and the fairways are narrow. So I put it up there with Oakmont and Marion and Shinnecock as probably, you know, those are including Wingfoot, the top four toughest U.S. Open golf courses, no doubt. Well, I'm about, all about um, and, and very happy that the USGA has gone back to uh, these types of courses. We know they strayed a little bit um, in years past, but you know, of course, uh, Shinnecock two years ago, Pebble Beach last year. Uh, so you've been front and center asking questions to Tiger Woods and um, some of the rest. Any surprises in some of the things you've heard from the players? Uh, or, you know, what, what are you hearing that's, that's giving you some uh, sense of who's 
who's uh, in the zone for this year's U.S. Open? So here are some of my observations. Um, you know, Tiger's only played six events, and he honestly looks really thin, like he's lost a lot, lot of muscle. So it doesn't look like Tiger is putting any time or very little time in the gym. He, you know, he's lost a lot of that, that muscle ball. And obviously he's had, you know, the back issues and the injuries. And that's, you know, he can only practice so much and he can only play so much. So because he hasn't played so much uh, and he really, um, you know, hasn't done well at Wingfoot. I know in 2006, the last time he played, his uh, father had just passed away and he wasn't, you know, didn't have any kind of mindset at all to play it. And obviously we understand that, but he just, you know, I just don't look to Tiger to play well this week. Um, you look at Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson, my goodness, he's lost a lot of weight as we know. And uh, he did not even come into the media area, Holly. That's um, incredible. I heard that earlier from uh, Todd Lewis. Yeah, he did not come in. I got, The Golf Channel did go up to him and ask him some questions. But you have to wonder, did he not want to be bombarded with questions about 2006, you know, the debacle on the 18th when all he needed was a par to win a U.S. Open title and his tee shot hit the hospitality tent on the left and his recovery shot, you know, ricocheted off the trees, ended right. up getting a double bogey there. I actually went down to the 18th today, walking it, and kind of uh, looked where the tees were. It's a very tough hole. It's very easy to uh, to hit it left, but certainly, hopefully, there obviously were no hospitality tents there um, today or this week. But, yeah, so Phil, you know, but with his short game, uh, with the roughing as, as, you know, just high and dense as it is, and with a lot of the slopes, and um, I can see Phil doing pretty good at this golf course. Uh, if his, you know, short game is, is you know, what, we're, what we've come to know of, of Phil Mickelson, of course, you have to be a great putter. I think Dustin Johnson, I asked Dustin Johnson if he's putting more expectations on himself this week because of how he's coming into this event. I mean, just playing just incredibly. And, uh, of course, you know, he's as deadpan as usual. Dustin Johnson doesn't, he doesn't over celebrate the highs and he doesn't over grieve the lows, right? He's just, he has such an incredible mentality for, for a golfer. And, um, I just think, you know, he's definitely, he would be my pick to win Dustin Johnson. So, you know, it's interesting. My buddy Craig Farnsworth, um, worked with Dustin Johnson in June on his putting, you know, Dr. Farnsworth. Yes. And, you know, the aim point. So I asked uh, Craig, I said, you know, tell me when you've been, when you and your team have been, you know, what, what have you guys been doing with DJ and when have you been working with him? And he said, by team, I assume you mean me. <laughs> so he singularly worked with DJ on June 4. And Craig told me that DJ is a great listener and wanted all my stuff, info, and training aids. He said our primary focus was on his setup. As you can see, he has a set routine to get his forearms parallel to each other. Right, he does that thing now where he he grabs his left arm. That's right, and he said he has some drills for his strokes, and there are these are to help him square his putter at impact. He said the biggest two items were better aiming and speed control. 
and his look from the side is to better appreciate the distance and the slope. He said the rest is his athletic talent and using his brother and aim point reads to trust his aim. So honestly, since then, he's been putting brilliantly. So I really am proud of my friend, Dr. Craig Farnsworth, and uh, the influence that he's had on DJ's putting. Yeah, that's great stuff. And he really does. He prowls around those putts now, uh, you know, like, I don't know if it's a lion or a tiger or what, but, you know, <laughs> he is so dialed in um, reading those, reading the greens and reading his putts now. It's, it's, it's quite noticeable. And obviously with some of these amazing, uh, you know, uh, 60 footers or whatever that he's had to, you know, slam dunk in, you know, the critical moments, uh, he trusts his putting in a big way now. Sure, and with the contours and slopes on these greens and the speed, these greens are, like, impossible. So you're going to need somebody who really is confident with their reads and their accuracy. And, uh, you know, and DJ is right, obviously right up there. So um, he's my pick. I know it might be an easy pick, but, um, you know, you have to stay on the fairway. Tee shots, accuracy off the tee is just huge. And uh, you have to have a great short game, and then you have to make those putts. So with, with DJ's length and, uh, you know, his short game and putting, I just think, uh, you know, he could be – he could just keep the, the, the winning going. And it's and this course reminds me of Oakmont, where he won in, in 2016. So he has confidence coming into a course, like, that's very similar to – what Oakmont looked like. So that's another reason why I'm picking him. And I think, I think now that he's, you know, checked the box for, you know, FedEx uh, champion. uh, Now it's all about the majors for DJ, right? I mean, you know, we know he's come close. We know he's had some heartbreaks, you know, uh, again, he manages to just, you know, uh, put those in a vault somewhere, uh, you know, way in the back of his mind. But, you know, especially with Brooks out of this event and also the little, um, you know, spear that Brooks put into his uh, ribs um, a few (laughs) weeks ago, I think now DJ would love to have this Open Championship right now. DJ is taking advantage of it. Let's win as much as we can. Yeah, that was unusual because those guys are really good friends at one point. Yes. But it, it just seems that, uh, you know, DJ left, or I'm sorry, Brooks left. They were training to partners. They trained together at, um, you know, the gym in Jupiter and and, <clears throat> and asked that trainer, Joey D, if he would train him personally and, and not train anybody else. And Joey D did not want to lose his other clients because he obviously was training Dustin, but he was also training a lot of other, you know, a lot of women on the pro tour. And so Joey D, you know, did not want to just leave everything and, and, and train Brooks. And it just seems kind of after that, they had a falling out and, um, you know, look, Brooks is brutally honest. He says what's on his mind and, uh, who knows what's really going on between the two of them. But, uh, I miss Brooks Koepka. I mean, I miss seeing him just, just you know, major championships. What he did in you know what two years time, winning all those majors is just incredible. So I wish he was here. I wish his knee was one hundred percent, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, anything um, that uh, struck you in the uh, USGA's uh, 
you know, state of the state press conference. Of course, they've announced, um, you know, the big move to Pinehurst or, you know, secondary uh, headquarters, I guess you could say. And that sounds exciting that we'll be seeing more of Pinehurst in the U.S. Open rotation. Yes, and I think they all needed a place to hang in the wintertime. Right. <laughs> Get out <laughs> of New little, York. Play a little golf, right? Yeah. Um, you know, actually, I came to that a little later because I was walking the course today. But I did ask uh, Dan Hicks of the NBC broadcast team, um, you know, if the production is different um, without spectators. Do they do anything differently from a video perspective, an audio perspective? And he said, hey, they actually do. They put a lot more microphones out there on the golf course. They try to pick up a lot more natural sound. Um, from a video standpoint, you know, they, they are pretty much keep it the same. They let wing foot be wing foot. And, uh, you know, it's just such a beautiful piece of property. And hopefully the weather will cooperate. I haven't looked at the forecast yet. But, um, you know, everybody's just excited, even though they're not spectators here. I did ask Webb Simpson if he prefers playing with or without spectators. Obviously, most of them are going to say, of course, they want spectators here. But he did agree that a lot of the younger players um, may do better without spectators because they don't get as nervous. Sure. You know, when you have, you know, rows and rows and rows of the galleries watching your every move, that can be really nerve-wracking. Whereas if you have no spectators out there, you can just go out there and kind of lose yourself and, and focus. And, and kind of DJ does that. You know, he's out there and he's just thinking about, you know, he's been winning without spectators, you know, these last couple months. And you have to wonder if that's better for some of these players, whether they're, you know, veterans or, or newcomers. Well, we, um, we know New York fans are uh, some of the loudest and the most passionate. We know how uh, they've just embraced Phil Mickelson in the past and, you know, lifted him up as like a second son. And That's right. You know, let's face it, Tiger Woods, I don't care if he's in it or not in it, you, you know, for a young guy to be playing and, you know, haven't uh, – experience what it's like those massive crowds that continue to follow tiger because let's face it you know there's there's still some uh some tournaments here that tiger uh has to break through not only as we know jack nicholas's record but sam sneeds and so anytime he's teeing it up you know the focus is also on tiger that's right and tiger kind of thrives on on the spectators and kind of impressing them Whereas, you know, you can imagine what it's like playing with Tiger and um, everybody's out there to see Tiger. So a lot of the people that, you know, are paired with Tiger have to really learn how to deal with the distractions of having so many people around. So, you know, I'm sure it has its um, good points and bad points for every golfer out there. But, you know, honestly, from a financial standpoint, the USGA gets most of their income from the tv rights and um but you know i'm sure they're gonna have to do something to make up from for you know the lack of obviously ticket sales and merchandise sales and um, i'm not sure if they addressed that or not in the press conference today I'll, I'll have to go back and read the notes but um it'll be interesting to see like you know how much money is being lost without ticket sales this year 
Oh, you, and you can bet on it, especially those merchandise tents. We know how huge those have become, Anne, in recent years. Uh -huh. And all of us, you know, go in there and come out with a few uh, few bagfuls of, of uh, tchotchkes and, you know, apparel and... Uh, I just I just can't imagine. Um, you, you can know. order that stuff online now. If you go to their website, they are selling all of that online. So it'll be interesting to see how sales are, you know, for all this U.S. Open merchandise that they've had for for a long time printed up, right? Yes. It'll be interesting to see how the online sales will do as compared to, you know, the, the uh, merchandising tent. But, yeah, that's one of our favorite breaks during the U.S. Open week. Kind of just right. take a walk through the um, – huge merchandising tent it's about two football fields long and wide and there's always some goodies that you just can't live without <laughs> absolutely absolutely i got uh, you know my uh beth page black mug on my desk and my uh, shinnecock coasters <laughs> you know one of the uh people i interviewed and i found him very impressive this young man's name is uh john pock it's spelled Pack, P-A-K, but it's pronounced Pock. He is a senior at FSU. He played on the winning Ryder Cup team last year, and uh, he's from New Jersey. And I had the time, I had an opportunity to sit down with him yesterday and talk to him. And what an interesting young man. He's, uh, he, he's the seventh out of seven amateurs from the world amateur rankings that were able to get into this U.S. Open. This is his first, you know, major event, and um, he spent yesterday meeting as many of the pros as he could meet. He went up to Tiger, introduced himself, and asked Tiger for some advice about playing wingfoot. And Tiger told him, "Patience. It takes a lot of patience." <laughs> <laughs> so I was really impressed with this young man. He actually called Brooks Kepka. Uh, before he left, and they didn't realize that Brooks was not going to be playing. Um, I guess they called him before Brooks had, um, you know, officially canceled out of this tournament because of his knee issues, but he talked to Brooks, a fellow FSU standout, and, uh, you know, he's really been reaching out to a lot of pros, getting a lot of advice, and he is just so thrilled to be here. So look for um, this young man, John Pack, or Pock, excuse me, Pock, uh, hopefully he'll do well. His, he told me his goal was to not only make the cut and end as the low amateur, but also to beat Tiger Woods this week. So. Gotta love that. Gotta love it. has a lot of confidence. You gotta love it. Yeah, he's uh, teeing off actually at 1221 tomorrow. So um, I'll be keeping Just my keep an eye on him. Yeah. I will. That's that's awesome. And, you know, we, we, we must uh, – you know, remember that this is the national championship, the U.S. Open, and uh, that we have a number of amateurs that have qualified to play, which is always, you know, the other uh, unique aspect of, of this event. Well, you've given us so many good, interesting tidbits, and so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you put a blindfold on, throw a dart, and who uh, are you picking to raise that U.S. Open trophy on Sunday? Well, I think I said I'm, I, I'm going to go with uh, Dustin Johnson. A lot of people think, well, can he continue winning? Probably not. But I just think his mentality is perfect. He doesn't get excited. Rattled. He doesn't get rattled. He, you know, if he's accurate off the tee, like he's shown he is these last couple weeks, 
you have to be on the fairway. You can't be in the rough. And then just his putting has been so strong, and he's very confident on the greens with, you know, Craig's help with aim point. And uh, so I'm going to go with Justin Johnson. I'd like to see him continue to win. I really would like to see DJ put uh, another major on his resume. Um, you know, he's he's come so close and a bunch of others. And, and we know now that that's really what people are looking at, you know, under the microscope uh, is, you know, can he, can he add a few more majors to that resume? Uh, and he's on a high right now. Let's face it, FedEx Cup champion, player of the year. Uh, DJ's on a roll. So it'll be exciting to see. What the leaderboard looks like on Sunday. And Liguri, always awesome to spend time with you. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. I always enjoy it. Appreciate well. it, my friend.